This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by L3 Harris. Carry confidence with you. L3 Harris provides ultra reliable portables and mobiles that are designed by and for those on the front lines. Learn more at l3harris.com. Hey, welcome back to Policing Matters on policeone.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, thanks for listening. And be sure to check us out on YouTube where some of our podcasts show you actually the person that I'm speaking with. And uh, yeah, they're they're great. Check them out. Well, in light of serious shootings and issues at our schools from student disruptions, fights, and even stabbings and shootings, are we doing enough to maintain the peace in schools without getting caught up in the administrative infractions? Our guest today leads the team in her school district's program to investigate threats. The threat assessment protocols are nuanced to investigate threats of potentially harmful behaviors, risk factors, and action required to support school safety. From her brochure, in partnership with mental health, law enforcement, and juvenile justice agencies, the Student Threat Assessment Program, administered by the NEWESD 101, provides student threat assessment services to school districts. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Jerry Newport, Threat Assessment Coordinator for the Northeast Washington School District and Threat Assessment Program. Thank you, Jim, for having me today. Yeah, I've been tracking you for a while, trying to get you on the show. Glad you could make it today. You know, we hosted a webinar recently with Dr. Peter Blair from the Texas University Alert Program. We've had Catherine Schweit, who wrote the book um, about Stop the Ending of Mass Shootings, and Mike Dorn, another school expert for safe havens. And we talked about the need to make our schools safer. What are you doing up there in the great Northwest in Washington State? Well, this uh, field is certainly growing. We're doing a lot of work up here, um, really building on the digital threat assessment piece here in Washington and uh, just trying to increase uh, prevention work around bullying, uh, anti-bullying, anti-hazing, intimidation, and um, trying to also develop some work in school culture and school climate so that uh, we can bring that out to all of the districts that we support here in Northeast Washington. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'd love to get into the digital aspect of it. Uh, Who's on your school assessment team? So uh, here at Northeast Washington uh, Educational Service District 101, we have three Uh, threat assessment coordinators. So myself, uh, Leon Covington covers the uh, urban area. So he's Spokane Public Schools. Jason McPherson covers the three Southern and West counties, and I cover the three Northern counties. And so walk us through the types of activities that may come to your attention to the point where you would initiate the threat assessment. So those are you know, they can be just about anything. 
uh, from fighting to just a student making threats. And threats can be made verbally, they can be made online, they can be written in a journal, they can be on the margin of homework even sometimes. They can be veiled, they can be overt. Um, but when a student makes a threat, and those can be toward peers, they can be toward the school staff, they can be just toward the institution itself. Uh, but if a student who's making threats uh, and their behaviors that are concerning others match those threats, that's especially alarming. Those would all come to the attention of a threat assessment team. Certainly if a student was trying to gather or acquire weapons, or if a student had weapons at school, those incidents would also always come to the attention of the threat assessment team. And so in your monitoring, well, if you get a, um, a, a type of incident where it's brought to the attention either through another student or a parent or a teacher, that there's something on social media, how, what do you do there? Are you monitoring social media? Well, I'm personally not doing that work. Uh, that is a very involved piece of threat assessment. Uh, if if you know anything about computers, you know how specific and specialized they can be. Um, I don't specifically monitor social media, but a specialized member of the threat assessment team who's highly trained in those areas would do that work. Um, that is an emerging component of threat assessment. And locally here in our region, we're doing everything that we can to roll out uh, more opportunities to bring that training to our threat assessment teams, because it's really important, even if you're not the member doing that work, to understand it and understand how much information can be gleaned from knowing how to do that work. So it really increases the importance of that member of the team to the rest of the people who are involved in threat assessment. Uh, and in reality, in the 2020s, if we're not looking at the digital footprint of a student of concern, we're really not doing a comprehensive threat assessment. So even though uh, it's new and it's evolving all the time, it's really important. And the basic steps on how to get your search to give you the results you want is nuanced with little details about like the requirements involving an ampersand sign quote marks, where do you use them or do you use them and how do you use them? Those really can make a big difference in the results that you get when you're searching. So um, it's an important piece. It's really becoming a, a bigger part of the puzzle now, but um, it's pretty involved. So I, I always tell people I'm not the one doing that piece, but it takes pretty much someone who does that all the time to understand all those details or just has the brain that works like a computer. Sure. Yeah. Whenever I need help, I just get, you know, a 12 year old to come help me with my yeah. computer. <laughs> Fortunately. So you mentioned nuance, and I think that's the key word here when we talk about, you know, what rises to the level of a threat assessment, a formal threat assessment, you know, rather than just a quick review, maybe. And we know, you know, unfortunately from past shootings that there usually is some sort of precursor information, maybe something we overlooked or didn't pay attention to. And, you know, as humans, we tend to sort of rationalize some of those things. Um, who takes the lead on case assignment? Do each of you just sort of say, hey, I found something. We really need to look deeper into this. How's that go? No, uh, really how that works is 
it's all done at the school level in the state of Washington, the model that we use. This process is owned and belongs to the school district from start to finish. We really play a consultative role, but we do all of the training for those members. So we make sure they know how to do uh, the threat assessments to fidelity, but they're the ones that have the students in their buildings. They get the threats almost always. We do, we do get threats at times and we pass those on, but they're the ones who do that initial screening with their core members and determine, does this rise to the level that we need to do a threat assessment or is this not exactly what it looked like at you know first glance? So they're the ones that would determine whether a threat assessment needs to be completed or not. Mm-hmm. And, and what's the involvement of a school resource officer in, in the schools there? Well, hopefully, you know, the goal is that school resource officers would be involved in every single um, threat assessment. And so, unfortunately, we're a pretty diverse uh, region. We only have one urban area, and then the rest are pretty rural communities. So, unfortunately, the majority of our schools don't have school resource officers or school security officers. And in those and in those accounts, then uh, county officers or municipal officers would be the law enforcement partner on the team. But um, for any schools that do have school resource officers or security officers, the goal would be that those people are always involved in every threat assessment because they are a core member of the school's team or should be. Mm-hmm. And those people are really positioned wonderfully to build intentional relationships with students of concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I love the idea of dedicated school resource officers so that they get to know the schools and the students and the administrators. It can be a slippery slope at schools when maybe a teacher or an administrator asks for a law enforcement officer to step in on what really should be in the purview of that school administrator. So Um, Are you dealing with that at all where you have to step in and say, well, this really isn't something that we need to be involved in? No, not at our level. Uh, And I haven't heard of any pushback with having law enforcement come onto a level one team. So there's been a really good partnership there. I just haven't encountered any of those problems. Oh, that's great. That's great. And um, I want to talk a little bit more about social media, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. When seconds matter, count on dependable coverage on and off campus. L3 Harris offers flexible and affordable portables. Communicate on the move with Wi-Fi voice and data, GPS, and app-based devices that keep you connected. Schedule your demo today. Learn more at l 3 Harris. And we're back and I'm speaking with Jerry Newport, Threat Assessment Coordinator for the Northeast Washington uh, School District and the Threat Assessment Program. Boy, that is a mouthful. You call it the NEWESD 101. uh, Social media, TikTok in particular, of all social media, seems to have great influence on young people and what they're doing. What's the answer to curbing that? you know, we've seen some sort of harmless, uh, you know, pranking behavior to, you know, ingesting something that's probably not good for you, or maybe even, you know, toxic. 
and even to the point of um, you know challenges or dares, stealing you know Kia uh, a Kia vehicle with a you know I won't even say it but with a device. Uh, what do you are you encountering that? And if so, what do you do? I mean, you can't you can't ban kids from social media, can you? Um, well. I don't know if a judge would have authority to do that or not, or even if they tried, if they'd be very uh, successful with it. But um, I haven't encountered those because I work mostly in the rural areas. So I did reach out to one of my colleagues and ask. Um, there have been the TikTok fight challenges that have come through, sucker punch challenges, Um the fight challenge where you find kind of an unsuspecting person in a bathroom and just beat them up for no apparent reason. The asphyxiation challenge or the natural high challenge has passed through. Um, destruction of public bathrooms or school bathrooms or other public facilities uh, and recording it and calling out other people to do the same thing. So those have been seen in our region. Um, but since I work mostly in rural areas, I don't see those trends that inspire car thefts. Not to say that car thefts don't happen in small communities. I'm just not sure that they're inspired by those passing trends. Um, the trend that I do see certainly that inspires violence though is the cyberbullying that's happening. It's everywhere, the cyber violence. Um, it can include hate speech that is definitely linked to a global increase in violence. And uh, cyberbullying has become a serious problem in our technology age. Um, I think sometimes the anonymity that plays a part is why it's so appealing. There's uh, something empowering about being behind a computer and um, it's not an intimate interaction. The person perpetrating it doesn't have to see the damage they're causing. They don't have to see the reaction of the victim. And so, um, Again, what we do know, though, is that strong parent relationships and positive school experiences are the two leading protective factors that are going to keep kids from becoming involved in cyberbullying. Mm. So um, I don't necessarily see those big TikTok challenges in the area that I support, but they're in our bigger areas. Uh, but the overarching issue of cyberbullying, I think, is everywhere and probably needs some attention. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Before social media, uh, back in the day, we used to call those telephone tough guys, right? They'd call up and say something and hang up the phone and yeah. no way to track them back down. You know, I've been up in, in your part of the country, uh, Pierce County, King County, Washington, and I know you are stretched thin, especially with the sheriff's department. Sometimes you've got 500 miles before another deputy. Um, but you don't have schools out there in, in the wild, do you? Are they mostly near urban areas? No. Uh, in the regions outside of the main um, urban area of Spokane County, uh, they're all rural districts. And it's not uncommon to have a school district that if a Deputy, we've had this conversation many times. If a school district has an emergency and they need a law enforcement partner, it's going to take a deputy running code for 45 minutes to get there. So yeah. Really important to have other people who are trained. Yeah, that, really, really that, important to get the training to the to those individual deputies where they're the first 
and only law enforcement presence for a while sometimes. Yeah, we have Border Patrol that is usually in some areas the first responder because their office is closer to the school. Um, but that's why they find that in these situations, of course, they happen so quickly. They they start and finish often very quickly that they're um, stopped by people who are not law enforcement majority of the time. Mm. And so what, what kind of outreach and training do you do? For those deputies, is, do you have regular in-service training where you bring them in and, and talk about the schools and, and go over school grounds and things like that? We are in constant communication with all of our law enforcement partners. So that would be municipal officers as well as county officers. Um, State patrol would be welcome. Uh, we do a lot of um, collaboration with FBI and um, Homeland Security, but we always are offering uh, training to law enforcement partners and encouraging those departments to train as many officers as possible because we do hold monthly meetings to make sure that we're cohesive as a team. And so when we're called to staff a case, we feel like a team and people can function as a team. It's really important to have as many law enforcement partners trained as possible so that when we have those meetings, the one officer who's trained isn't off shift that day. So you don't have law enforcement as part of the team that time. So uh, really doing a lot of work to encourage departments to train as many officers as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And again, especially for your rural officers who may be the only ones um, there for, for maybe quite some time, it's, it's super important for them. Hey, can you offer, tell us about some of the interventions that you may have prevented? I know the National uh, School Resource Officer Association, NASRO, um, put out a publication, I think two years ago now, that talked about 170-ish um, serious incidents and probably active shooter cases that they've prevented. Um, can you tell us about anything like that up in your area? Well, at our level, we don't count um, the ones, you know, we don't have reports for the ones that we've worked on that where something hasn't happened. But we all know that you for sure can't count um, averted or prevented events, because how do you know for sure? But we can only go off the most important um, protective factors that we know, uh, or the inhibitors, which are things that keep a kid off that pathway to violence. Uh, again, those positive adult relationships uh, truly can make a difference. The incidents of school violence almost always involve youth who didn't feel connected to the staff or their peers at school and often don't have close relationships at home. Mm -hmm. So the most meaningful interventions that we can implement to help kids build um, connection and uh, build relationships with those around them, get them into positive activities and um, get them the provided services that each particular student may need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a, an important aspect that we haven't talked about and that's the, the other side when the kids aren't in school. Um, do you have any trainings where you invite parents uh, or guardians of kids to come and talk about the issues or, or maybe do some training? Yeah. So we've done, and it seems like sometimes it's in waves 
So maybe there, you know, is a certain period of time where there's an influx uh, and a school will request a parent night. And so we'll go out and present to parents. We present to school boards. uh, We'll present to any community agency that wants this education or that somebody wants to take it to a particular um, population. We're happy to share this information because we want people to understand what threat assessment is and why it's being used it is an inclusive process. It's meant to keep our kids in school and to reduce the number of expulsions and, and suspensions. We don't want kids removed from school because we know that we're all safer if we know where they're at, if they're being supervised, if we have eyes and ears on them during the day. Sure. Hey, thanks for taking the time with us today, Jerry Newport, Threat Assessment Coordinator for the NEWESD and the Student Threat Assessment Program. Any any uh, finishing thoughts about what you're doing and rec- recommendations for other law enforcement officers out there who are, may look for uh, building a threat assessment team? Well, they're extremely important, and I think they're uh, going to become more important in the future. I uh, just want to say thank you for having me today again uh, and, for your, and for your interest in this prevention work that we're doing with threat assessment. It's really important, again, to, to educate our communities about why, when, and how we're administering threat assessment and to make sure that people understand that threat assessment is being used as a prevention tool to keep violence out of our schools. Uh, it helps to make sure that we can keep our kids in school, even if they are showing concerning behaviors to others. Um, where they're being supervised and building vital connections, because that's what we're hoping is happening when they're at school. Um, At ESD 101 here in Northeast Washington, uh, we are committed to keeping our kids and our schools safe. Our team at the School Safety Center provides comprehensive services and supports uh, with all things school safety, threat assessment, and behavioral health. Um, And That's for the 59 school districts in our region, the 45 state approved private schools and three charter schools. So uh, I encourage anybody who doesn't have a threat assessment to um, start this work. Yeah, super important and uh, great to learn from others like, like what you're doing up there in the great Northwest. Hey, thanks again. We are going to link your program in our show notes uh, with some other information that our listeners can check out. Uh, Appreciate you sharing with us today. And to our listeners, hey, let me know what you think. Hope this was uh, helpful for you. You like uh, more information, check out the show notes and drop me a line at policingmatters at police1.com. Policingmatters at police1.com. And uh, yeah, give us a rating on uh, Apple reviews and uh, Hope you're happy with the program. Let us know what you need. All right. Take good care. Great talking with you again. Hope to catch up with you again real soon. Uh, I'm Jim Dudley.